Shorter chapter tonight, just fitting. Oh, that's a good Isn't that good thing? <laughs> Getting a little bit different uh, time of a start. We're, we're fine. Very good, ladies. Thank you for the fantastic food. Mighty yummy. Appreciate that. Special surprise. Anyway, uh, chapter one, we're going to find David as a political refugee. He's going to be seeking asylum. And uh, he's in desperation because we see a definite change in David's life here now. It's a new kind of a time of his life, a painful time. He's separated here from his wife and from his position that he had in Saul's uh, court there and, uh, of course, from his friend Jonathan, as we had seen last it's a dangerous time for uh, David and a lot of other people too. Anybody who identified with him uh, are probably in trouble. Um, God's anointed cannot be killed though. They, they will not be able to kill David because God has a plan. And uh, that's always good to keep in mind. It's a time of growth. It's a time of preparation for David. And uh, we know that he will rule over Israel as God has designed. Only thing is, David is going to get his faith built up. And he must be tested. Anytime you have faith, your faith has to be tested. You guys ever felt like you've been tested? Well, that's a good thing. That means you have faith. He shows what's genuine. And he gives the faith, and then he takes care of it. He maintains it, doesn't he? Um, and God forgotten to be gracious during this time of David that uh, times that we're going to be looking at that we know about do we do we know that uh, you know did God change his purpose what happened here it seems like God abandoned David this is the slayer of Goliath and he was triumphant and we know that uh, Seems like everything that David did just turned to gold, you know, and he had the, the wisdom and everything went right, you know, and he won his battles. And it seemed like all of a sudden uh, he becomes a fugitive just out of nowhere uh, from the time that he had a glorious time of triumph and now he's on the run. God did not leave him, but sometimes God withdraws. His upholding grace, if we can say that and put it in quotes, because His grace is always there, even in what He's doing. But sometimes He lets His people go. And uh, it shows how much we depend upon Him constantly. When we're left to ourselves, oh dear. <laughs> and that's what we see in David's world here. Uh, sometimes we say, well, we believe God's Word. But when the times come, it is tough. And it's a lot tougher than we ever thought. It's one thing to believe that here's the Word of God, but whenever it's time to use the Word of God in our lives, are we going to be able to respond in that way? It's one thing to believe that I am without strength. I'm without wisdom. Except it be for God's grace, right? Right? 
But it's another thing to actually experience those things. So, that's what we're going to be looking at, especially in the next few chapters. We'll be starting it out tonight. A different uh, David now. Let's pray. Father, thank you. thank You for this precious Word. Thank You, Lord, for Your power of Your Holy Spirit. And uh, not only that we believe Your Word, but that we would trust You in the times that seem to be uh, missing Your presence. But your presence is always there. Sometimes we don't feel it. Your grace is always there. It's sufficient. But sometimes it doesn't seem like it's there. And Lord, we will learn much from the life of David as he is on the run, a fugitive. You designed this story for not only David, but also for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, David's on the run. He's hungry. He's so much on the run. He's going to go begging for bread and some uh, weapons. I could say weapons or weapon. Let's take the first nine verses. Uh, David came to nod to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech came trembling to meet David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has commissioned me with a matter and has said to me, Let no one know anything about the matter on which I am sending you and with which I have commissioned you, and I have directed the young men to a certain place. Now therefore, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever can be found. I'll take anything. That wasn't in my text, I'm sorry. The priest answered David and said, There is no ordinary bread on hand, but there is consecrated bread. If only the young men have kept themselves from women... David answered the priest and said to him, Surely women have been kept from us as previously when I set out and the vessels of the young men were holy. Though it was an ordinary journey, and how much more than today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him consecrated bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which was removed from before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. Now one of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. David said to Elimelech, How is there not a spear or a sword on hand? For I brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's matter was urgent. Then the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it was wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is no other accepted here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Where could David possibly go for refuge? He's on the run from Saul. Where is he going to go for help? Well, surely Ahimelech will help him. That's where Nob is at. That's where the priest is at. And he's right. The high priest there is going to help him. Uh, it's a few miles north and a few miles east of Jerusalem. Actually pretty close. Not too far from there. A little bit northeast. And a few miles from Gibeah, which is the home place of Saul, who is the one who is out to get him. So David is well aware of Saul's influence. 
And he has a secret here. He lies. He lies. That's exactly what he's going to do. It's urgent. I'm on the run. And remember, he's been a captain of, of like what a thousand. You know, I mean, he has been huge in the army. He's he's at the top, you know. But yet, if he's coming in an official capacity to the priest there, then he should be with men. There should be men with him. So David, quite well prepared, has a story for him. And I think he goes a little bit... He's maybe kind of building into it a little bit, kind of adding to the story as the questions come. And so the priest says, you know, where are they? And David, through this story, uh, is lying. And we never justify lying. We've seen this before, even uh, you know about telling Jonathan what to do. What's wrong with David? Well, he's acting in the flesh in a lot of aspects. And he is not filled with God's Spirit because you don't lie when you're led by God's Spirit. And uh, anyway, I'm not so sure if the priest believes him, but he acts like he believes him. Uh, and David, as far as he's concerned... He wants to keep the priest ignorant because maybe he won't get any harm from the king. So it's better that he doesn't know, uh, make up this story. He's not going to say, hey, I'm running out on the king, I'm running away, he's out to kill me and such. This is a secret mission. This is a special assignment. You know, it's like um, cloak and dagger. It's almost like a spy story, you know, and they're out hiding out there and David's in there. He didn't even have time to get his sword, you know, and uh, he's hungry and it's a deliberate lie. It is not justified. Lies are not justified whatsoever. But uh, what else do you do if uh, you've got uh, I mean, <clears throat> wondering? What happens if you were told the truth? Yeah. yeah. What, what would have been the big deal? Probably would have been like, well, you're God's anointed. I mean, this is the priest, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mine, mine says, and the priest was afraid. Yeah. When he yeah. Meet David. I think he's heard the story. I think he kind of knows. Don't you guys he think? He's close enough that he already knows that Saul's out to kill David. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't question David here. He goes along with it, and you know, okay, your men. Where, where are the men? Mm-hmm. You know, you're out here by yourself. Maybe he's trying to decide whether he believes David or believes Saul. Because he, he, to me, it might sound like he's like, okay, Saul's after to kill you because of what Saul said about you. But from everything I've seen of you and heard of you from the people, I don't think that's who you are. And the people know that Saul... So you think he's attacked has, by has a good reputation. Yeah. So he, whatever Saul's doing. Yeah. Like so he's like, he's like, well, I don't know what you're doing, and I don't know what's going on or why Saul's after you, but it can't be for what the reasons that they're saying. Yeah. So yeah. you know that's probably why he questions where are your men because he's like, did David do something or did David not do something? He's trying to put this together. Yeah. Without actually saying. What did you do? And he's definitely suspecting something. Yeah. Something's not right. Something is not good. So you know he's scared, mm. and he has good reason to be scared for him, himself, his family, the whole area of Nob. Because we're not going to talk about it tonight, mm-hmm. but in the next chapter, 
we will see what happens to the priest and his family and everybody around there. Um, it, it's, it's laid out here. What a storyteller God is, isn't He? And as we have this before us, we go, wow, this, this is some heavy stuff. Well, you know, in Psalm 119, and who wrote that? David, in verse 29, it says, Remove from me the way of lying. Well, David has done it, and he's doing it again. And as he goes along, he just keeps doing it. What Psalm was that? 119, verse 29. So he, uh, you know, this is the guy who single handedly took on the Philistine giant. And he's afraid. David's afraid. He's fearful. He's afraid to speak the truth. Elijah, you remember him? He shrank back. He didn't shrink back whenever he had a meeting with, remember all the prophets, the false prophets? And man, I mean, God came in there and just blew those prophets away, didn't He? How about... Um, how about uh, and of course, but what did he do? And one nasty little woman, Jezebel. <laughs> and he's on the run, wasn't he? And he's scared to death. And he yet he took all of those guys on. And then you think of Peter. You know, he he dared to step out of the ship, you know, into the sea. You know, he actually walking there, but you know, uh, of course, he got fearful. But of course, as he was in uh, being questioned of who he was during the rest of Jesus. You know, there's that little servant girl, and you know, he, you know, there he is lying in that situation. And so, you know, we got to think: uh, take heed, lest we too fall. We can get into the same situation. Do you see where God has allowed him to get into? Before he didn't do it. Now he's allowing him to do this. Only so far. Only so far. It would be horrible if all we knew about these people was all the awesome good stuff they did, yeah. and we never saw that other side of them. What's good about that, Penny? Well, Psalms is a great I would give up. I would just give up. Would I you say he's human like as we are? Yeah. He's the same as we are. Yes. This is the great King David. Yeah. The type of Christ. This is hope to us. Is it, yes. Isn't it encouragement? It is. Not that we want to sin, and not that we want but, them to. Not that we want to see them, you know. Right. right. But, but, I mean, I. What would I do? Gosh. No. I mean, I'm gonna, and I've been in situations, and I'm like, what? What do I do? Save face. And at the same time, we know what we're doing. Does David know he's lying? Of course he does. Yes. He's lying to the priest, and where's he at? <laughs> He's at the place of God. So when we do this, we're not trying to lambast David and try to make ourselves righteous. What we're doing is we're saying, He's human. I'm human. I've been there. This is a battle. That's right. Something that How we get to read about all the things that the people here have done, and we get to have like an almost intimate relationship with them. And then at the end of Revelation, it says that the books will be open, and everything that they good that they did and bad that they did will be exposed to them. And it's like it's almost like we get to learn about their good and bad here, 
and then our good and bad will be exposed to us or to those who don't have Christ. All right, Avell, that's enough. Man. <laughs> <laughs> You're stepping on my toes here. <laughs> No, that's scriptural. That's but he's saying the truth. So you know what I'm about that part yeah. of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to know. I don't want to go have that stuff read back to me. You know, any more than these people want. We're all going to be did. standing around listening to it. Too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all the angels are like, yeah, they're all <laughs> yeah, but it's covered. <clears throat> yes, it is. <clears throat> and it just, you know. That's that's good. That's humbling. It's really humbling, but it's the truth. You know, to trust in God while you're overcoming, you're in the sunshine, is easy to do. Matter of fact, when we have these Bible studies, boy, we can be bold and we can <laughs> and then when the real time comes, well, that's the thing. Being in church, singing, and talking to Christians, and isn't that easy? Building each other up is just feels so good. And we need that. Yeah. But whenever we're being overcome, that's another thing, isn't it? Not saying we're going to lose every battle, because David doesn't either. We should be winning. Really, we should win them all, theoretically. Theoretically. But there are times when we're not really talking to the Lord either. And sometimes we get in a bad place and we're not... Exactly. Why weren't we speaking to the Lord then? David's not. We've done the same thing. You know what? The next thing is, is he's he's hungry. Uh, He needs provisions. And if in normal circumstances this was always the case, how much more so in this instance? Oh, yeah, right. So uh, you have that consecrated bread. Uh, you guys are familiar with that story there. He says, give me some bread. You know, It's almost like, a, give me the bread. <laughs> and, or whatever you have. Whatever, whatever you can find. Well, <clears throat> I had a question. Talking about him being hungry. Did he go for three days without eating since he didn't go to the table? Oh, he's hungry. Whatever it is. Well, now why, why, why is the, why is this thing about the women coming up? In I was actually going to ask that too. Yeah, no, I thought yeah. that was interesting. I mean, why is that? Right now. I mean, I understand <laughs> that they have to be clean and stuff. Right. I understand that, but why? Why would that be put in here? Is it true? Is that true? Okay, first of all, they're at at the, you know, like the tabernacle. It's really what it amounts to, right? Mm -hmm. And you have the high priest there and everything. Okay, this is where they would have, you know, the consecrated bread are the loaves of bread that's put there on the Sabbath. Fresh bread that's just been baked and it's there until the next Sabbath. That's, of course, it's representing who? Right. He's the bread of life. The priests get to eat that bread. Okay? They, they, they will eat that. That will be removed. They'll put in new bread. So therefore you have that. It, so do they but eat it's, the old loaf? Or do they eat the fresh loaf throughout the week? Well, that, that would be that, that bread that they had taken off. Okay. That, that consecrated bread there. But you know what? 
hey, I've eaten bread that's been around for a few days, you know. <laughs> yeah. Still good, you know. But this is the thing. This bread didn't have any preservatives in it. No, but it, it, it was made for God, so you can't <laughs> yes. you can't go wrong with that. Exactly. Um, the, these these men actually are ceremonial clean. They're not even there. Right. The men aren't there, but David goes along with it. Oh yeah, yeah, they're they're of course we are. Matter of fact, they had been before. How much even better and more so. Than even right now, because if we're in the presence of this, the presence, which is this bread, yeah, they are holy, and so that would be the the idea behind that. Um, one thing, and in Exodus twenty five thirty, you go back to the law and uh, this proceeding here dealing with bread. 25.30 says, You shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. So it was there all that week. And it put a fresh, more loaves of bread there every Sabbath. So this day is a Sabbath day that David comes there. And you'd say, he's not supposed to be eating that. So we turn over to Matthew chapter 12. And was man made for the Sabbath, or was the Sabbath made for man? Right? We all know the story on that. Uh, in Matthew 12.3, but he's, uh, Jesus is talking about the Sabbath and the, the grain fields and such, and they were eating out there on the Sabbath. But He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he became hungry? He and his companions. That's interesting. He and his companions that he didn't have. But that's in the story, right? He knew well, well about this. There wasn't. I, oh, I didn't know about that. He's still calling David out of that one. <laughs> he and his all companions. How he entered the house of God and they ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priest alone. Now the thing is, is that. He's able to eat the bread because the hunger being you know taken care of is actually you know actually doing something and the Sabbath is made for man. Man is not to be made for the Sabbath. So if somebody's in real need or if you have an ox in a ditch, it was okay to pull out. But if somebody was in real need or Jesus healed on the Sabbath, or in this case you have a real hungry man, maybe three days, then Jesus was justifying that and he used it the Old Testament story. In the Sabbath, what about the travel restrictions? Well, that's that's true. Could be. I I don't know how uh, did he travel very far at that time. Uh, I know they had it set up for what was it? was it a mile? Half mile? Mile? Something like that? Yeah. Do you mean how far they could travel? Yeah. 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 It wasn't very far. It was a lot to go. So, anyway. Um, That's a tradition of man. Right. And they, the Pharisees built that tradition. Exactly. So, um, the vessels of the young men, obviously, that would be the word for bodies of the, you know. 
So he, he was given consecrated bread, the bread of the presence. It was removed before the Lord in order to put hot bread in its place when it was taken away. So that tells you what day it was. Jesus relates to it. He shows that that's Sabbath. Jesus uses it as a great illustration of showing that principle. Now, uh, just one verse of this part right here. Um, now one of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg, the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds. And then it stops there and it continues yeah. on. Just put this in the back of your mind. You ever watched a movie and they'll put in some scene and you go, what's that there for? And then they'll go back to the context. But later on you go, oh, that's what that was going on. Well, it's chapter 22 is when that will come into play. But keep it here. While David is doing all this, Here's another thing. He knew who Doeg was. And Doeg happens to be a the king of the shepherds. He's the chief shepherd. David had done that. He knew full well what that's about. But the thing is, he is an Edomite. An Edomite who is serving the king. He really has no loyalty to David or anybody else for that matter. And so he's going to be able to um, do something rather um, unexpected, but yet the priest knows that he's there, and this is, I don't know, I'm not so sure about that. David just keeps on saying, give me some bread. And then he says, oh, by the way, the sword. Um, He asked Ahimelech for this. David kind of has a kind of a backslidden state of mind here in Seoul. Uh, He's acting more uh, foolishness than the man of the world. He should have been thinking, uh, I'm not going to say anything with that guy around here because he serves the king. And he knows about me, I'm sure. So anyway, David then asked about the sword. Now remember, there were few swords to be found in Israel. They didn't have them. Of those kind of swords that they had, who had them? The Philistines did. But David knows there's a sword there. And it was a trophy. It was a memorial about what he did. It was like the Hall of Fame. Bringing in the last pitch made by Nolan Ryan who pitched a no-hitter or something like that. And they put that up there on display. Yeah. Everybody heard about this story. This is a legend. There it was at this you know, in the place of uh, where would be the, the tabernacle. He's so ill-prepared in this. It's like, okay, he's going to have to expand his story a little bit more because the priest is wondering, why would you be out here as a soldier and not even have any weapons? And David knows he's going to have to have something. He knows, oh, by the way, it's here. And so he asked for it, although it's really his... And the priest recognizes that. He says, great, that's fine. And I, you know, I, I think... Um, I, I think David was, you know, he was just... You know, by the seat of his face. He's, 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 you know, he's on the run. He's trying to kill him. He's just... He's already... We already know that he's wiser than and more tactical than all the rest of the people in the army. So, you know, he's like... He's got to think, and he's got to go. He's and he's doing on, it. But he's relying on his self-will. Yeah. That, that tactical. Oh, what does he say? There is none like it. Give it to me. 
whenever he went after the giant Goliath, what did he have? Now he's graduated to the. This is the flesh now operating. It only makes sense though, doesn't it? Why didn't he think of that when he said that? Because he's panicking. There you go. He's in panic mode. Is he being led by God's Spirit in any of this? He's not. He's thinking on his own feet, like the Bill said. That's the problem. Thinking on his feet. He's running away. And, uh, you know, hey. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool guy. Right? Okay, next section. Seeking refuge in the enemy's house. Then David arose, fled that day from Saul, went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one that they uh, danced and sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart. And all of a sudden, it's clicking in his head. What in the world is going on? And greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them, acted insanely in their hands, and scribbled on the doors of the gate and let his saliva run down his beard. (laughs) Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why do you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come into my house? He goes to Gath. He goes to the Philistine. What in the world are you thinking, David? It's amazing what David does here. Goes to the land of the Philistines. Goes right into where the king is at. You know, he leaves the people of God for the enemies of God. He seeks refuge from a king who who's, who hates the Israelites. He's done battle with them before. Um, this is where Goliath was from, Gath, and of all things, he brings in Goliath's sword with him. What is wrong? And this wasn't out of bravery at all. This is what kings would do. They would seek refuge in another land. But do you go to the enemy? I don't think Trump is going to go to China to seek refuge. Maybe Ireland or something like that, they say. Or Scotland, would, uh, I believe, is the place that would be more safer for him. But uh, Israel would probably be pretty good, but they've got a lot of action happening there quite a bit. But uh, after he killed Goliath, the Philistine champion, and, uh, of course, the Israelites pursued the Philistines. They went right up to the cities uh, like Gath. You know, they know full well who he is. So he approaches it again as a political refugee seeking asylum from Achish. And, of course, i got passages like 1 Kings 11 and 2 Kings 25 where kings were treated by other kings as an asylum for uh, those kings. Where at one time, maybe they weren't really the best friends. So he comes to Gath, hometown of Goliath, carrying in Goliath's sword. David is absolutely crazy and he acts like it. And, you know, his whole conduct, you know, I mean, this is humiliating. Things are desperate for David. You know what? God does not want him there. You're going to have to get out. And how he does it is he brings it to these men who said, Saul has slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. Don't you know who this is? This is King David. 
And right there is where he goes, oh no. Oops. He's totally recognized. You know, he's not in there incognito, you know, but, uh, you know, refugees sometimes for a king are kind of like a trophy. And maybe David said, I'll be willing to give that up if, you know, he'll protect me, you know. And they'd love to have me in there, I guess is what he's thinking. But, um, you know, he's been designated as Israel's next king. So has he forgotten about the song that was sung about David? Uh, anyway, they, they sure didn't. David is, is thinking now, what am I going to do? He's in trouble. And we see that he's fearing. What right had David to be at Gath? None whatsoever. He's out of his place. And that's where Christians get sometimes. Places where they do not belong physical places or with the wrong people and you're going, what am I doing here? Why did I do this? They go back to the old way, to the old crown. Yep. Here's where God's wondrous mercy comes in and He withholds chastisement here and gives some of this grace and mercy in there because, you know, He was afraid. Of course, David does his insanity uh, what an act that he that he gave here! It, it's disgusting. It's pathetic. This is the coming king, folks, and you know this convinces the what king. A good thing they didn't have smartphones back then. Oh, I will tell you. You know that's interesting about the king. Says, listen. I have enough crazy Philistines around here. I don't need another one coming in here. And he's not the smartest, you know, person that's in the city there. But God is infinitely merciful. And he is screening his child from imminent danger. And he gets him through that. Now David does his little act or whatever it is, but he gets out of this. Psalm 56. I've got these psalms tonight that were taken for the like the cave or this place right here at Gath. And all of those psalms were written from David's standpoint because of these incidents. Now, uh, this is to the cave, verses 1 and 2. We're going to get this quickly. David departed from there, escaped to the cave of Adullam, and when his brothers and all his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. Now there were about 400 men with him. So it's starting to mount up now. In this, cave, He goes to the cave. It's a little bit east of Gath, a little bit west of where Saul would have been. So he's in a little bit safer place there. At least he's not in the Philistine territory. Uh, you know, so what we have here is a territory of, uh, of Judah. He hides away here and he's secluded in this hideout. And along, people start hearing about it. Word gets around real quickly. A number of people come. It starts with his family. And well, they should because they're in huge danger. If they're after David, who else are they after? If they were after Trump, who else are they after? All the rest of his family. And then all the people who were close to him and even think the way that he thinks, right? So he, this is there's nothing new under the sun. 
this is all, you know, like Ecclesiastes says, it's repeated over and over. There's nothing new here. That's the way men operate. And you know, that's the, the sin of mankind, depravity. But David hasn't been doing so great here. But I got a feeling when he got to the cave, knowing David, let's give him something here. I got a feeling he started praying. He did pray. Read the Psalms. And I've got a number of those. Uh, Psalm 52 is about Doeg and his report. If you don't believe me, you know in the Psalm that it'll say like Psalm 52 and under, underneath it'll say a mascal and then it's dealing during the time of David being in the cave. Something like that. Or, you know, the, the other instance there. But yeah, chapter 52, chapter 57 and 142 are about uh, the cave. Psalm 34 and 56 are written during David's time at Gath. So that was what, when he wrote those. And that was part of the psalm. Uh, whenever it says that's where it, why it was written and what it was doing there. So that's fascinating. Um, anyway, David at least was hiding out. Now he's got his family. And now a lot of people are coming. Uh, I don't know how much room they have in this cave, but I'll tell you what, this, everybody's hearing about it. I don't think it's too safe. They assumed it was safe. What are we going to do now? And you know, all of a sudden, he's the leader again. He's a natural leader. I think he's been praying, and you'll see him get praise to God in all those psalms. And all of a sudden, his head starts getting a little clear. That's right. He's captain over 400 men. Others are following and those people are in distress. Their lives are threatened. Or they owe money. Uh, who knows? They're out of favor with the Saul. You know, what, what chance do they have? So this is where David gets his crew of people. So we go to the fourth one. 3-5. through five, This is where we enter tonight. David went from there to Mitzpah of Moab. So that's interesting. He's been to the Philistines enemy. Now he goes to Judah in the cave, but they kind of they better move on. Guess where they're going? They're going to Moab. Moab also uh, would be considered to be enemies. But I think God is really giving him some really big time grace. He said to the king of Moab, please let my father and my mother come and stay with you. That's Jesse, right? his father, and his mother. Oh yeah! Jesse had a wife. <laughs> and uh, you, until I know that what God will do for me. Could, could, could they stay here? <laughs> then he left them with the king of Moab. They stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. The prophet Gad, came to, comes to David now, said to David, do not stay in the stronghold. Depart, go back into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Hereth. God brings a prophet to him. David had sought out the Lord. He praised Him. And he got into the, the thinking that he should have been. We all are there. We go, oh yeah. Isn't it great when we start thinking about who God is and how big He is and what He does. Start forgetting about his own problem. And David you know, David takes his family down there. Protect my family, would you? What, what's, what is he doing there? I think... It is because he had a great-grandmother by the name of Ruth who was a Moabite. And so he has a connection there. That makes David a little bit of a Moabite. 
you know, removed a few generations, but a great grandmother, right? But just yeah, so there that was their his grandparents. Or or Wife. Jesse's wife. I think so. Yeah. I we'd never even heard of that before. You know, you tend to think just Jesse. Maybe he's living by himself at the time. Maybe she was dead. But there's his wife there. That's his mom, David's mom. So, mom, that was her name, mom. Yeah, <laughs> right. I didn't learn my mom's name until I don't know, fifth, sixth grade. <laughs> she was just mom. Oh, that's right. You know, when how old was I? Whenever I found out my mom's name, you go, what? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, he's thinking of his parents during this time. And he's kind of waiting to see what God's going to do. Where do I go? I mean, he's not welcome in his own country, is he? Interesting. The prophet comes. Gad comes to David. He says, you must leave here. You must go back to the land of Judah. David says, okay. He obeys the command. Know him hawing around about it. He says, got to go. So off he goes. And there's the end of our section. What life lesson can we get out of this? There's a lot of them. We'll close it out with this. Many like to think of David as a real man. You know, when we hear that phrase there, oh, you know, a man wants to be a real man. Of course, the world's definition of a real man is totally different than God's kind of man. Well, he really was a real man. He was real human. He was just too human. He was, yeah. You know, he doesn't always think or do what is perfectly spiritually the way to think. He has a heart for God. No doubt about it. But he has a feet of clay. So do we. We're humans. Uh, he admits that he, he is to blame, actually, for what happens to the priest and their families. He flees to uh, uh, the Philistine area, you know, in Gath. Um, he flees to Moab. Then a prophet comes and tells him to go. You know, he's a real human being. But because of David's failures, we are encouraged. We are given hope. And... We have the same nature that he had, although our nature has been changed. So was his. God dealt graciously with David. He does with all believers. Everybody who is a believer, God does this. How many times has he delivered us when we shouldn't have? You know, a lot of people say, well, he was just lucky. It was just good luck that he got out of those situations. No, God delivered. This is divine deliverance. The uh, you know you think of all of the psalms like the historical backdrop of Psalm 52 is Doeg's report to Saul, and Psalm 34 and 56 are written David's time uh, at Gath, and 57 of Psalms and 142 are written while David hides out in the cave. We have those psalms for us, 
and I wished I had time, but we'd read some key verses. You know, uh, there are times when we feel afraid, but I'm going to trust in Him. You know, over and over, you see that, and you, and you see how David got his heart right and is thinking about God. These Psalms are David's reflections, and they uh, really are conclusions about what really happened in our text. Deliverance is divine. God is the deliverer from those who seek, uh, I guess you could say, our destruction. God will deliver us. God's deliverance is given to those who love and trust God and who call upon His name. God's deliverance is for the undeserving. God delivers men in order to bring about thanksgiving and praise and glory and honor to God. Read those Psalms and you'll see that's what He was doing. That's when you're right. When you're praising God. We're thinking about ourselves. We're forgetting about God and praising Him. And guess what? We start thinking the way that man thinks. And we see what happens. Matter of fact, it's worse worse than man because sometimes we do the stupidest things. We lie and do all sorts of stuff that is not our character. Even when we're panicking. That's right. Was David panicking? You betcha. Do we panic? Yeah. But God delivers us even when it is not flattering or even when it is very humbling to us. So, just those few short verses really have a lot there, don't they? The story thickens <laughs> as we move on now. The plot. The, yep, the plot has thickened. This is better than Netflix. <laughs> it is, isn't it? You better believe it. Hey, Avell, won't you close us here in prayer? We'll finish for the night. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time that we have together to worship you as, uh, as one body with you being the head. Um, we know that your spirit is here among us because we are believers in you and we are gathered together. Your word says that we're one or more gathered together. Your spirit is here. So we praise you for that and we lift you up and glorify your name. Thank you for the hands that have prepared the food tonight. It was very delicious and I know that everybody who had a chance to enjoy it um, really did enjoy it. And I thank you so much for that. And as we depart here tonight, Father God, I just ask that you um, help us all to get where we need to go safe and sound and um, help us to live a life that is worthy of praises and honor and glorifying your name. And uh, as we go through our humanly things, we can, we too can sometimes act the way David did, and we do sometimes act that way. Um, but as you helped him through all of the struggles and all the trials and all the tribulations, you have promised that you would be here with us as well, just as you have been there for your prophets and for your apostles and for all those who believe in you, Father. So just give us the strength to continue to believe and to carry on and to represent you until the day we stand before you in your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Avell, you better get